Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Last night, Burrow's furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. A party composed of 15 men and boys, all of them armed, set out in quest of the strange animal that is alleged to have its lair in a cavern along the Swatara Creek. The net result of the expedition is that one member of the party claims that he got a glimpse of the mysterious monster and fired a shot at it and missed. That is, he presumes that he failed to hit the beast as he claims that it shook its head savagely and ran away. Another member of the party verifies this story and says the animal disappeared in Adam Bolt's meadow. This morning another party comprising 20 men visited the vicinity of the cave while several were watching the place, a cry was heard, and the watchers turned and saw the creature bathing in the swatter a short distance south of where they were standing. Several shots were fired, but all were without effect. Members of this party described the creature as an animal weighing between 200 and 300 pounds, light in color, and having a sandy head. Mr. Malfair, a reputable citizen, asserts that he has seen the mysterious visitor running about in Mr. Rasp's meadow between the Swatara and the Quidapahilla. 
At one farm in the vicinity, heads of 23 chickens were found. Some lay the slaughter to the beast, and others say it would not take the bodies and leave the heads. Others claim that they have watched the cave on the Swatara, and have seen nothing in the Swatara, and have seen nothing in the shape of an animal in that vicinity except chipmunks. As I gazed out over the vast expanse of the Grand Canyon National Park, I couldn't help but feel awestruck by its sheer size and beauty. The towering cliffs, the winding Colorado River far below, and the rich red rock formations all around me were simply breathtaking. It was a peaceful moment, but my peace was shattered by a sudden blood-curdling scream that echoed through the canyon. I quickly realized that it was the cry of a park ranger in trouble. I ran towards the sound and soon spotted Ranger Lori lying on the ground, writhing in pain. She was being attacked by a massive, furry creature, almost as tall as the trees around us. It was a Bigfoot or Sasquatch or whatever you want to call it. But I knew I was looking at something straight out of a horror movie. The beast was clearly angry, and its eyes locked onto me as I approached. It was clear that it was going to come after me next. I was terrified, but I had to act fast. I reached for my gun, but before I could even get it out of my holster, the creature lunged at me, its massive claws flashing in the sunlight. I dodged the first attack, but barely. It was like being hit by a freight train, and I was tossed aside like a rag doll. I tried to scramble away, but the creature was relentless. It came at me again and again, each blow knocking me farther and farther and farther away. Finally, I realized that there was no escaping it. I knew that I had to fight back, or I was going to die. I stood up and stared the creature in the eyes. It was a terrifying sight. But I gritted my teeth and prepared to face it head. On! I charged at it, trying to dodge its huge claws, and aimed my gun at its chest. The next few seconds were a blur of violence and chaos. The creature and I collided, and I managed to get a shot off, but it was too late. Its claws raked across my chest, and I fell to the ground, bleeding and gasping for air. The last thing I saw before I lost consciousness was the creature disappearing back into the woods, leaving me there to die. When I awoke, I was in a hospital bed. My wounds were severe, but somehow I had survived. The doctors told me that they had found me just in time, and that I had been lucky to escape with my life. I was grateful to be alive, but the experience had left me deeply shaken. Over the following weeks, I pieced together what had happened. The Bigfoot was real, and it had attacked Ranger Lori just as it had attacked me. But there was more to the story than that. I learned that there were others who had seen the creature, and who had even tried to capture it. And that was when I realized the truth. There was a conspiracy at work. Someone, somewhere, was covering up the existence of this creature. They didn't want people to know that Bigfoot was real and that it was a danger to those who lived and worked in the park. Ranger Lori had been betrayed, and so had I. We had been left to die, sacrificed for the sake of secrecy. It was a bitter pill to swallow, and one that still haunts me to this day. The Grand Canyon National Park is still a beautiful place, but now I see it through a different lens. It's a place where danger lurks in the shadows, and where secrets are kept at all costs. 
I don't know what the future holds, but one thing is certain. The memory of that terrible day will stay with me for the rest of my life. It was around one o'clock in the morning on a chilly pre-summer night. I'm pretty sure that it was early June, but it may have been late May. A friend of mine, whose name I'm not going to mention, and I were out looking for a good place to have a little campfire. He knew of a campgrounds outside of Marcola, so we headed out in that direction. We took a few of the logging roads, taking mostly right turns as we tried to find the spot that he had been to. This was pretty deep into regrown log wood. We finally reached our destination, a dead end, about 20 feet in diameter. The location included bushes at the west, a 10-foot or so strip with no trees to the south, an embankment about 8 feet high to the north, and the road we came on to the east. My friend had left his car lights on so we could see what we were doing. Nature was calling me at that moment, so I started walking back the way we came. I didn't get 30 feet before I felt like this spot was really weird. I knew that something was watching me. I turned around and walked back to the car. I stood in the middle of the headlights for a few minutes and then started to help my friend try to build a fire out of wet sticks. When I stood up, I heard a low sound coming from behind the car west. I looked at my friend, who had also heard it. For a moment I thought it was the car, but cars don't make that kind of noise, which is very much indescribable. A moment later we heard the same noise in three of four hoots. My friend went along his business. I stood in front of the car, scared as hell. To the north I heard a bird make its song, at one o'clock in the morning. I then heard something to the south that sounded like the muffled conversation of a man and a woman. This was accompanied by a few low whistles. It was after I heard this that I noticed the sound of light footsteps coming from the north, barely audible, only I knew they had to be big, walking on moss or something. By that time, my friend and I were really freaked out. I jumped into the car. He put out the fire and suddenly looked to the east, looked back at me looking really scared. He jumped in and turned the key. Nothing happened. The car lights were still on. The battery was alive. Nothing was wrong with the car. He checked under the hood and his cylinder was fine. Three green lights for go. We had to push start the car. We drove straight out of that forest and never looked back. When we got to the main road, he shut his car off. It turned over and started the first try. We haven't gone back to that spot since then. As I patrolled the vast Everglades National Park, I marveled at the beauty of the marshlands and the exotic creatures that called it home. But as the sun began to set, a sense of unease settled over me. The park was beautiful, but it was also dangerous, filled with predators and hidden perils. I heard a strange sound coming from the deep woods, a sound that I couldn't quite place. It was almost like a low growl mixed with a high-pitched screech. I knew that I had to investigate, so I set out into the woods. The woods were dark and foreboding with twisted vines and towering trees that seemed to loom over me like giants. As I pressed deeper into the forest, the sounds grew louder, and I felt a cold shiver run down my spine. And then out of nowhere, I was attacked by an unknown predator, a creature that was unlike anything I had ever seen before. 
It was tall and muscular, with long arms and legs covered in matted fur. Its eyes glowed with a fierce intelligence, and its teeth were razor sharp. I fought the creature with all my might, but it was too strong, too fast. It knocked me to the ground, and then, just as suddenly as it had attacked me, it was gone. I tried to follow the creature to track it down, but it was as if it had vanished into thin air. It was like chasing a ghost through the tangled maze of the Everglades, and I felt a sense of frustration and desperation growing within me. Days turned into weeks, and the predator continued to haunt my dreams, a shadowy figure that lurked just beyond my reach. I knew that I had to find a way to stop it, to bring it to justice before it could hurt anyone else. And so I teamed up with a team of experts, and we set out into the heart of the Everglades, armed with the latest technology and the bravest hearts. We searched every inch of the park, but nothing. Nevertheless, I knew that the memory of that creature, that unknown predator lurking in the heart of the Everglades, would haunt me for the rest of my life. As we returned to civilization, the memory of the creature still fresh in my mind. I couldn't help but wonder, where had it come from? What had driven it to attack me, and who or what was it protecting? The more I thought about it, the more I realized that there was a dark underbelly to the Everglades, a side of the park that most people never saw. There were secrets lurking in the swamps and the marshes, secrets that were hidden from the prying eyes of tourists and park rangers alike. And as I delved deeper into those secrets, I began to uncover a web of crime and corruption that stretched all the way to the heart of the park. There were poachers and smugglers, drug dealers and black market traders, all using the Everglades as a cover for their illegal activities. I knew that I had to take action, to fight back against the forces that threatened to destroy the park that I loved. And so I rallied a group of like-minded individuals, park rangers and law enforcement officers, who were willing to stand up and fight for what was right. Together we waged a war against the criminal elements that threatened the Everglades, taking down poachers and smugglers, drug dealers and criminals of all stripes. It was a long and difficult battle, and we faced many challenges along the way. But in the end, we emerged victorious. Today, the Everglades National Park is a safer place, a haven for wildlife and visitors alike. And though I will never forget the terror that I felt on that fateful night, I am proud to have been a part of the team that helped to restore the park to its former glory. But I know that the battle is far from over, and that there will always be those who seek to exploit and destroy the natural world. And so, I will continue to fight to protect the parks and the wilderness that I hold so dear for as long as I am able. Hey everyone, I've sat on this one for a while because my friends and I can't decide what we heard and it is still confusing to this day. Two of my buddies and I were out hunting as this throwaway's name implies in southwest Idaho. We were less than half a mile from the Oregon border in the Oahe Mountains. For those who have never seen southwest Idaho or east Oregon, it is high desert, so mostly dead grass and sagebrush in this area. No trees to speak of. Our plan was to head over after work on a Friday and stay the night to hunt in the morning, and it was kind of my bachelor trip. 
We had done some early drives out there before the season to scout and check migration patterns and figured staying the night out there would be best to catch this herd waking up to move. We had a late start because my friends got off a little later and we took a bit to get together and packed. In any case, we got out there after sundown about 7.30 or 7.45 p.m. local time, so we had to find a place to pull off in the dark. Eventually, we found a somewhat suitable spot near a stream that seemed decent for the night. We didn't have a fire or anything, so we just had a couple swigs of Jaeger to celebrate my upcoming marriage and were talking about our plans for the next day, who goes where and where we'll glass, etc. Sometime in the middle of the conversation, probably after only an hour or so of being parked, there was a really odd sound, so we all stopped to listen and heard it go again. It sounded like nothing I had heard before. It was a deep and almost nasally sounding me. Ah, that got deeper and almost distorted as it went and dragged on for a couple seconds. It was the same sound as what made us stop and was followed by pure silence for what seemed like ten minutes. We had no firelight and very little moonlight, so it was near blackout conditions out there. We all had pistols on us and hunting rifles in the truck, but did not feel comfortable at that time. What finally broke the silence was what I could only write off as a frog, but it sounded exactly like one of those wood frog instruments just being scraped at varying speeds. This was coming from one spot on the other side of the creek, almost exactly opposite of where the first noise was. We decided at that point it wasn't worth staying up to drink, so we got in the tent and went to bed, and once the frog sound stopped, a few minutes later it was silence for the rest of the night. As we have talked about it for the past year or so, we had a couple theories. At first we thought it could have been a cow, but the weekend before and the next day we did not see any cattle. About a month before, there were free-roaming cattle that I assume were moved out because this area is hunted pretty frequently and the day we hunted was opening day. Also, it was close, maybe 30 yards. If it was a cow, it would have been way louder. The wood frog sound, I thought, could have actually been a frog. But in all my... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Time in the surrounding areas, I haven't heard only one frog sounding off, and never one that sounded like this, or one that was inconsistent like this. My initial thought was someone was out there messing with us, but they would have had to hike in a long ways with no light because it was a decent-sized flat area we were in. We listened to audio of just about every odd deer and coyote sound, and nothing matched. 
If you guys have any ideas, let me know. It felt like the two were connected because of the proximity, but my mind tells me that can't be true. I don't remember the year, but I was in winter, I think like 2016 or around then. I had an experience with what can only be described as a droger or ghoul. Me and my friend drove past it in New England. It was on a dark street, but it gave the most horrible feeling. Near my old house, where a lot of creepy stuff happened, paranormal stuff, the house was old and haunted. Stuff would move doorknobs, would turn, etc., but this was unrelated to the incident. Both me and my friend experienced it, and we were both like, maybe it was just a person, but we both got this horrible sensation, and it just definitely wasn't. I was really sick at the time, and got even sicker definitely felt malevolent to both of us and we both found ourselves looking out the window that night with a feeling like it had followed us home. This took place at some point between 12 and 13.30 last night. For context, I'm a programmer and do most of my work on commission for U.S. clients, so I live pretty nocturnally. Finishing at around 12, I decided to go for a walk to get my head out of the programming mindset so I could actually get some sleep. It's midsummer here and there was a decent amount of moonlight, so this wasn't really outside my normal behavior. After walking for about 15 minutes, I reached the furthest street from my house, as I live in a very small town. This street runs along a large embankment, which is next to a biking track in a bit of forest that separates it from the river. As I got there, I turned right to loop back into town. This is when I actually saw the crawler. My first conclusion was that it was a horse, because it was standing on all fours in the middle of a paddock, and there are plenty of horses around this area. I quickly realized that it wasn't, though, once I noticed a small group of sheep huddled in the corner of the field, which allowed me to get a sense of scale. Once I understood what I was looking at, I quickly crouched down and tried to hide in a patch of tussock near the footpath, but it had already seen or heard me. It took a few alarmingly quick steps toward me, and I thought it might charge at me for a second, but it stopped just as fast and just sat there staring. After maybe ten minutes, it turned and sped off toward the river without making a sound. Once it was well and truly gone, I got up and began to head home again. But I backtracked instead of walking along the river road like I would usually. I'm pretty sure I saw it again out of the corner of my eye as I was turning the corner onto my street. Here are some things I noticed. It was actually a dull pink color, like overboiled meat, rather than pure gray. It had the same sunken dark pits for eyes that I see others describe. And at first I thought it had no mouth, but it actually seemed to have an overly large mouth and a lack of lips, making it appear mouthless. Rather than appearing emaciated or bony, it was weirdly smooth, and I couldn't see the outline of its ribs or anything. I put smooth in quotes because it was wrinkly, but not lumpy or bony. When it moved, it wasn't running on all fours. Instead, it ran on its feet and used its hands to steady itself on objects like fence posts and the ground if nothing else was around. It was mainly balanced on the balls of its feet, like a person squatting. My best guess as to its speed would be around 80.
Based on how quickly it crossed the road, when it was near me, everything went dead quiet. And I don't mean just the animals, insects and stuff. Even the sounds of the river were basically inaudible, and I don't recall even hearing my own breathing. Anyone else heard of this? Buddy and I left camp in my rig to grab some firewood a couple miles down the road. We came around a corner and saw a sheep herder we'd met earlier, open rangeland, talking to a guy in the middle of the road. As we got closer, we could see the other guy had a pistol pointed in the face of the sheep herder. We throttled down to break up whatever was going on, but the guy with the gun took off when he saw us barreling down the road. The sheep herder didn't speak English from Peru working in the States to send money back to his family and was scared out of his mind. Him and his 500 sheep ended up camping with us that night where we shared dinner and tried to communicate with hand signals. I was a park ranger in the Ozarks and I loved the beauty of the mountains and the tranquility of the deep woods. The sun was setting, casting a warm golden light over the landscape as I received a distress call from a park visitor. They said that something strange was happening in the woods, and I knew that I had to check it out. As I drove my jeep through the dense forest, I could feel a sense of unease settle over me. The trees were tall and ancient, their branches reaching up to the sky like twisted fingers. The air was thick with the scent of pine and moss, and the rustling of leaves was the only sound that broke the silence. I arrived at the location of the distress call, and as I stepped out of my jeep, I heard a low growl. I spun around, my hand reaching for my flashlight, but I saw nothing. Suddenly, a figure leapt out of the shadows and attacked me, and I realized that I was facing a creature I had never seen before. It was a monster, a twisted, deformed thing with razor-sharp claws and glowing red eyes. I fought for my life, dodging and weaving as the creature attacked me again and again. I managed to grab my gun and shoot it, but it only made it angrier. It howled in rage and then disappeared into the woods. I was confused and frightened, and I had no idea what had just attacked me. I called for backup, and soon a team of rangers arrived to search the woods. But we found nothing, no sign of the creature, no trace of its attack. The only evidence was the torn fabric of my shirt and the bruises on my body. I knew that the Ozarks were full of mysteries and secrets, but I never imagined that there was something like this lurking in the woods. I was determined to find out what had attacked me and why, but I knew that I was facing a dangerous and deadly enemy. The woods had become a place of terror, and I was no longer sure if I was safe. Days passed, and a team of scientists and wildlife experts were brought in to investigate the strange creature. The woods were scoured for any signs of the monster, but there was no trace of it. As the days went by, more and more people began to report strange sightings and attacks, and it was clear that there was something dangerous and unpredictable in the woods. Some said that it was a monster, while others claimed that it was a ghost or a demon. I was still haunted by my encounter with the creature, and I felt a deep sense of responsibility to protect the park and its visitors. I knew that I had to find a way to stop the monster before it could hurt anyone else. 
So I began to do my own research, consulting with Native American elders and local hunters who had lived in the area for generations. They told me stories of a mysterious beast that was said to roam the Ozarks, a monster that was half man and half beast. They called it the Skookum, and it was said to be a creature of evil with a thirst for human flesh. I was skeptical at first, but as I dug deeper, I began to realize that there might be some truth to the legend. I pieced together the clues, and finally I had a plan. I would lure the skookum out of hiding, using myself as bait, and then trap it once and for all. I set out into the woods, armed with my wits and my courage, and I waited for the monster to come. I could feel its presence, could hear its breathing in the darkness, and then with a roar, it attacked. I fought the skookum with everything I had, and in that moment I knew that this was the fight of my life. The battle was long and brutal, but finally I was able to injure the monster. Unfortunately, Beast fled, and we never saw it again. In any case, the Ozarks were safe once again. I was hailed as a hero, but I knew that the real heroes were the people who had helped me, the people who had believed in me and given me the strength to face the monster. And though I was proud of what I had accomplished, I could never forget the fear and the darkness of that night when I faced the Skookum in the heart of the Ozarks. My fiancé and I hiked into some forest in Ontario. We had a friend drop us off at the side of an old logging road in the middle of nowhere, and we hiked into the woods due east. The road ran north or south, so basically all we had to do was, was stay due east hiking in and due west hiking out, and we would reach the road again for our rendezvous at a predetermined time a couple of days later. There are no natural predators this far south, such as bears or wolves, so for protection I only brought a K-bar knife and some bear spray in case coyotes took an interest in our two dogs that accompanied us. The logging road was no longer in use by any industry, and we had hiked into the woods a few kilometers, so the chances of running into another human were now. In addition, hunting is not permitted in the area and there is no water nearby for fishing. There really wasn't any reason for anyone else to be out there in the middle of the woods that far off the road. No cell service, although I did bring a flare gun and multiple flares in case we ran into trouble to signal for help. No GPS, just a compass. We were careful hiking in and didn't do anything risky to avoid injuries in this remote place. It was early fall, but it was unseasonably cold well below freezing. Lots of leaves on the ground and still on the trees, but no snow yet. We set up camp in some thick woods. You could barely see fifty feet away. The trees' bushes were so dense. We were totally isolated and felt completely safe. It was so cold and so dark at night. It was moonless and cloudy that we went to bed early to stay warm. I'm a heavy sleeper, and next thing I know, I'm awakened by my dog pawing at my face. It is pitch black, and I can't even see him. I go to pet him, but something is wrong. As I touched him, I could feel his fur standing straight up, and he was completely rigid, facing the door of the tent. He was clearly on guard and very alert. At first, I assumed there was a woodland creature nearby, but I couldn't shake the feeling that something was wrong. 
that is unusual because I often camp alone no problem and am not easy spooked. My dog and I just stayed there frozen and alert for at least a couple of minutes. My fiance and other dog were still asleep next to us. It was 3.30 a.m. I checked my phone after the incident. The fire was out. No moon. Complete blackness. Just as I was letting my guard down, I hear the most unexpected thing. A notification going off on a phone just outside of our tent, maybe 15, 20 feet away, and I see a faint glow. I hear a male voice mutter, oh, F, or something to that effect, and hear them running through the leaves away from our tent. They were clearly smacking into tree branches, etc., and swearing as they did so. At this point, they turn on their flashlight as they run and I can see the beam flailing wildly around in the woods, occasionally back onto our tent. The dogs start going ballistic. I grab my knife and look at my phone. It's 3.30 a.m. I screamed out, if you come back here, I'll blow your head off. I'm assuming he had a satellite phone or really good cell service to get a notification like that. The other weird thing was he fled deeper into the woods and nothingness, not west towards the logging road. Needless to say, we packed up in the cold and hiked back to the road, watching our backs the entire time. We just walked down the road towards far-off civilization until we ran into some other campers set up right next to the road, seven or eight kilometers away from where we came out of the woods. It was just after first light. They let us use their satellite phone and we called our friend to come pick us up a day early. Upon hearing our story, the campers decided they would pack up as well and get out of the area. Lesson learned. I do not camp in the wilderness anymore without a satellite phone and a 12-gauge. I am 16 years of age and it is 427, about an hour ago. I was mowing a friend of the family's lawn and kept noticing these rocks being thrown at me. I thought that the weed eater was hitting these rocks and didn't think much of it. Well, about two minutes later, I could smell this awful B.O. smell and thought I must really have bad B.O. So I checked and I couldn't smell anything and the rocks started to come back at me again, but this time I could hear laughter, but like a retarded person. I kept looking around to see if anyone was around messing with me and nobody was there. So I just kept mowing and smelling that awful smell. Then the rock started being thrown at me and I looked over in the woods and trees and saw this huge creature behind the tree. My hair went straight up on end and I ran like a bat out of hell. When I got to the door I looked back and it was running through the trees and the trees and bushes were moving fast, like in Jurassic Park. I know it wasn't a bear. It was too tall, and no bear can run that fast on two legs, if they can run on two legs at all. It was about eight to nine feet tall. 